name is Emily Delu, and I serve as Executive Director here at NUCON. We are kicking off a new sermon series this week called We Want to See. And I was looking forward to actually preaching today, but this week my family and I have joined the ranks of people who have COVID infections. And so we are actually hunkering down at home and actually being well fed from NUCOM folks. So thank you, thank you for your prayers. But I still wanted to take a moment to introduce this sermon series. We want to see. So this new year is typically a time of resolutions and goals, words of intention, year verses or vision boards. And often it turns into a time where we come up with new things to do, new tasks, new rhythms, and usually more to do. And yet, as we settle into this new year that has already proven to be quite disruptive and uncertain, let's just look at the cancellation of classes for Chicago Public Schools during this surge as one example, I don't think we actually need to add more things to our endless to-do lists. We, I don't think we need to up the pace of our treadmills and do more. In fact, I believe God's invitation to us in this season, as we start off this year, is to slow down and intentionally shift our postures to see and receive from God. Rather than add more things to our plates, what if we released some of our loads in acts of surrender? So our passage for this series is a well-known one from Luke 18, Jesus healing the blind man. And in this story, the blind man cries out to Jesus, the crowd shushes him, and yet Jesus says that the blind man should still come to him. And Jesus asks him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man replies, I want to see. And Jesus heals him. This story is a piercing and tender invitation to deeper faith and surrender. It's an invitation for us to shift our postures to see the way God sees, to see each other and our neighbors with God's eyes. As we enter into this transition process that Cece and Pradeep talked about earlier, to see our church from the perspectives of abundance and providence, the way God sees our church. And the only way for us to see the way God sees is through transformational encounters with Jesus, like the blind man and the crowd experienced in this passage. Through acknowledging our deepest needs and longings and blind spots, we can see by being healed and, and uh, changed by Jesus. So we're gonna spend the next four weeks intentionally slowing down and entering into almost a meditative posture of mulling over this story over and over again, but from different lenses. Tim White, our care minister, will, will preach today. Thanks for the last minute, Tim. Ruth Nakai, our director of spiritual formation, will lead us next week. Michael Sugahara, a lead leader in our spiritual formation ministries the following week. And then Carlton Coleman, our director of worship, will close us out at the end of January. And they're gonna preach from their perspectives and their experiences about what they sense God is saying to our church through this passage at this particular moment. We're essentially holding up a kaleidoscope or a, maybe a prism would be more accurate, holding up a prism to these sacred words of God 
turning it ever so slightly so that we can take in the diverse and expansive ways that God speaks to us, that we might see more fully, more clearly. So I invite you these four weeks to sit in this passage and meditate on it throughout the week. Read it and envision yourself as a member of the crowd who considered the blind man a total disruption. Meditate on the character of Jesus that's demonstrated through how he talks to the blind man. Place yourself in the blind man's shoes and consider what it was like for him to cry out to Jesus even when everyone around him was shushing him. Sit with these words and let them pierce your heart. In this season, I believe God is asking Newcom, what do you want me to do for you? And my prayer is that individually and collectively, we might slow down and position ourselves to be able to say in surrender and faith, we want to see. May we enter into this season with that posture together. Am I on? Yes, I am. <laughs> Good morning, church family. Yeah, I feel like I'm pretty high. Okay, all right. Well, good morning. It's always my pleasure to be with you. And uh, y'all heard what the woman said, so that's where we're going the next few weeks. So I'm just going to get started. A few things uh, I just wanted to say. <laughs> For one, um, even though I know some of us make getting up here look easy, this is not easy. For me, there's a main reason why, because I recognize that I am accountable to God for the words that I speak. And so pray for me as I minister. I always pray that my words will be formed by the Spirit of God um, today. I also want to notice he mentioned that there are four of us speaking on the same text. So if there are certain points that I do not drive home today, don't be upset. We're going to be talking about this for the next four weeks, okay? But I have a particular lane that I am, and, and, am flowing in. So just flow with me today and hopefully I can set us up for the next few weeks. All right, so she mentioned the particular passage, and I want to start by reading that passage. So it's coming from Luke chapter 18, and we're looking at verses 35 through 43, and I'm going to ask for this uh, time, I, don't, I normally don't do this, but I would ask if we could stand for the reading of the scriptures. <clears throat> Then it happened, as he was coming near Jericho, Jesus, that a certain blind man sat by the road begging. And hearing a multitude passing by, he asked what it meant. So they told him that Jesus of Nazareth 
was passing by. And he cried out saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Then those who went before warned him that he should be quiet. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he had come near, he asked him, saying, what do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, that I may receive my sight. Then Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. This is the word of God. All right, you may be seated. So I will acknowledge that today will probably, as it's kind of my style, will probably feel more like a Bible study. That's just how I do. Um, because it's fun for me to dig into the scriptures and, and just pull out what the scriptures are saying. So I'm just going to flow that way today. So a couple notes about that. Of course, whenever you approach a certain biblical text, it's always important to have a little bit of context, a little bit of understanding of you know, kind of what we call the history behind the text. So that's how you get into who, who's the author, what's the author's intent, you know, the history in the text, what's happening, what's the scenario, what, what, what's going on. So the brief history behind the text I just want to reference is just the author, the book of Luke. It's a gospel uh, that records the life and work of Jesus. And I'm just going to, to reference this, uh, which is in the first chapter of Luke, verses 1 through 3, and I think this is actually important for where we're going, inasmuch as many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered them to us. It seemed good to me also having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus, that you may know the certainty of those things in which you were instructed. So I want to start off with that, the author's intent. And as I read and as we go through the story, I'm going to ask that you not glaze over certain terms, certain words, because they do have meaning, they are important. There are things that I might pull out, there are things that other speakers might pull out. Um, but I, I wanted to draw your attention to this because as you read the Gospels or any account, what they're initially saying is this, these are eyewitness testimonies. And every story that we read about what Jesus did, that this is not some move for blind faith. These are people who walked the streets with Jesus. They saw him. They touched him. They were there. They're saying, this is very scientific. They are saying, we've handled this. We've seen this. We've testified to this. And the reason I'm writing these things to you is so that you can have a certainty of what you've heard 
And so that's when we talk about our faith. It's not just this, it's not this blind faith, we're making it up. We're saying this is based on concrete evidence. At least that's what the author is saying. And that's what I'm saying to you today. Eyewitness accounts. Now we come to the text, okay? And now what I'm going to do is just kind of go through the text and give a breakdown. But leading into this, it's always important to read passages before the main passage, after, to kind of get fuller context. Now, I might lightly reference certain things, but I'm going to challenge you in your own Bible study time to go back, since we're going to be reading this text for the next four weeks, read all the verses before it, because you'll see similar themes uh, that Jesus is bringing out and that the author wants you to understand. But this context, so Jesus is on his way to Jericho. Just before this moment, Jesus tells his disciples, again, because he did it throughout his ministry, that he's about to die. He's about to be handed over, he's going to be crucified, and he's going to rise again. So Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, okay? So in this time, his crucifixion is days away, okay? You know, very soon he'll be coming into Jerusalem riding on a donkey. Hosanna, Hosanna, you know, that's about to come up. And so this is on, <laughs> en route to that, okay? He's going through Jericho, okay? And while on the way, we encounter this blind man who sat by the road begging, okay? He's blind, he's begging, he's relying on the goodwill of other people around him. He sits by the road because that's probably the main traffic. If you think about when you stop at a traffic light, you see people with signs that says, I'm hope, homeless, help. It's the same idea, main road, probably, maybe it is the main road in the town. And he's there because that's when his chances are best of getting some sort of charity, okay? And hearing a multitude passing by, he's asking what's going on, okay? The brother can't see, but he's hearing what's all the commotion, okay? There's a multitude. And they say, oh, well, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. So he's, this guy's doing what he normally does, and you have to imagine this is what he does daily, right? And then something shifts. Something change, changes. Something else enters into the picture. Jesus is passing by. So he had to have heard something of Jesus. He knew something. Now, mind you, this is toward the latter part, the end of Jesus' ministry. He's about to be crucified, rise again, and and ascend to heaven. So, so Jesus is pretty popular. I'm sure he's heard of his, healing, his healings, his miracles. People have been talking. Who is this guy? And then he shows up. And this man's posture changes. He cries out saying, Jesus, son of David, or rather he's yelling, Jesus, son of David, Jesus, Son of David, I want you to put yourself there. There's a crowd, it's noisy. Jesus, Son of David, 
Jesus, son of David. I want to pause right here. Jesus, son of David. As I mentioned, we don't want to skip too quickly past terms. Jesus, son of David. I want to reference two passages to give a little background on this title. Okay, the first is Luke chapter 1, and it's up here. And we talked about this coming out of Advent, all right? So this scripture should be familiar. Then the angel said to her, to Mary, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom. There will be no end. Isaiah chapter 9, 6 through 7. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Jesus, son of David. I want to suggest to you right now that this is not a cute term. This is not a convenient term. These terms have real world meaning. So if you understand anything about David, David is the greatest king of Israel. You can find his story beginning in 1 Samuel, somewhere around 15, 16, where he's anointed. Okay, Saul was the initial king. He disobeyed God. God said, I'm rejecting you. I'm going to anoint a man who's after my heart. So that's David, okay? And it was understood that the Messiah, the Christ, would come through the lineage of David, okay? Now, you have to understand, this is a Jewish world, so you have to understand that lineage, genealogy matters, okay? And the author understands that and wants to let you know, and the, the, the readers at this time to know, you wondering who Jesus is? He's laying out an argument because there are all kinds of prophecies about the Messiah and what the Messiah would do, right? And this is one of them. He will come through the line of David. And it's showing, well, Jesus is of this lineage, one, you know. Okay, so he's a descendant of, of, of David through Mary and Joseph. Um, he is a descendant, you know. So, you know, Joseph is his father, going back through Solomon, David. Okay, so he's of that lineage. He's got that royal right. But it's saying more than that. The passages that I just read are showing someone who's not just a descendant of David, but is greater than David. 
someone who, who surpasses David, comes through the lineage and, 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 and takes on that rulership, but he's, he's greater than David. And, and get it, this, when, when people reflect, the Jewish community, they reflect on David and how great the kingdom of Israel was at the time and how God moved, but this king, his rule will never end. Another nugget of context, this is in the context where all kinds of people are wanting to form kingdoms that don't end. The Roman Empire during this time was kind of seen as that, oh, this will be the eternal kingdom, right? No. So what is this term, son of David? It's not just recognizing Jesus' lineage. You're the Messiah. This is the community that's reading these prophecies and hearing this. And actually, the people have seen his miracles and they're asking the question, is this the son of David? Is this the one that's been prophesied? Is this the one that we've been waiting on? Jesus, son of David. That title, when applied to Jesus, is declaring his royal highness, his kingship. More brief history throughout the life of Israel. You had three main offices, prophet, priest, king. The prophet spoke on behalf of God to the people. So the prophet represented God to the people. This is what God says, right? If you want to go to King James, thus saith the Lord. The priest stood before God on behalf of the people. The priest represented humanity to God. The king represents God's rule, government. So when you hear these terms, Jesus, the prophet who represents God to the people, well, Jesus is son of God, God in flesh. He's son of man, representing humanity but he's greater than humanity because he's sinless, he's perfect. So the only one who could be the perfect sacrifice, he's the priest, son of David, ruler, king. Mind you, these terms have meaning. King, lordship, okay? It's difficult for us because we are Americans in a democracy, we elect our leaders, but understand the people in this time who know what kingdoms are and kings. And so to identify Jesus as king, to talk about the kingdom of God, people know what this means. They know what it means for their world and they know what it means for their lives. Jesus, son of David. The blind man is saying, you're the one that was promised. 
And so as we sit with these terms, do we see Jesus for who he is? We'll get to the healing. We'll, we'll get to that. But, but do we see Jesus for who he is? It's not just he heals and he uplifts the broken, but yet who is he? This is what people are asking. Who is this guy? Well, nobody can open the blind eyes but God. Who, no one, who forgives sins but God? Okay, you're getting the picture. All right. If you can't tell, I geek off of this stuff, I'm telling you. Because just... I'm, this is the part, I'm telling you, where you start, and I talk about context, this is where you start seeing Scripture interpret Scripture, Scripture speaking to Scripture, where the folks in this time are, are, are uh, writing to their community who's been reading these prophecies that go back 700 years and say, remember when Isaiah wrote that? This is what that means. This is, this is the fulfillment of that, right? It's, talk, it's this cross-linking. This is what's happening. the eternal king. All right, we'll keep moving. The crowd is bothered. Now, we'll talk more about the crowd next week, so I'm just going to kind of glaze over it. They rebuke the brother. Stop talking. We don't, I mean, why is he just an annoyance? You poor blind man, you don't matter. Whatever it is, Ruth will talk about that next week. But they're trying to silence the brother. And he shouts all the more. He keeps shouting, Jesus, son of David. This brings me to a rather silly example, but I think it demonstrates the point. My kids know that whenever I preach, I will probably use them as an example. And, um, you know, they'll have to get used to it because my dad did it to me and my brother, so this is just how it is. <laughs> Think for a moment who, who this blind man is appealing to, right? So the silly moment that happened years ago, this is between my, my sons, uh, my oldest son and my, my second <laughs> youngest. So maybe it was three or four years ago, but there was, I can't remember what it was. But BJ, my oldest boy, he comes to me and he's just distraught. He's distraught about something Joshua said to him. I'm like, BJ, what's the problem? And he's just like, you know, Joshua just, man, he told me I couldn't do something. I don't remember what it was, but he said, Joshua just said, I, he says I'm not allowed to do something. And BJ's just, I mean, he's broken over this. Now, I did what any good parent would do. I did my best not to laugh in his face because it was funny. I'm, I mean, I think I did one of these, you know, just, <laughs> it was funny. I'm like, bitch, why are you so broken? Your brother has no power. <laughs> this brother has no authority over you. Son, who's your mommy? Who's your daddy? I use that example because I see that briefly, you know, just the posture of this man. That does not care what the crowd is saying to him. Hey. 
but it's emphasizing I'm talking to the true power right now. I'm talking to the one with authority right now. Jesus, son of David, shut up, whatever. Jesus, son of David. And he kept doing this. Who knows how long he's doing this? He's loud. Who, I mean, he might be tearing something up. I don't know. But he's Jesus, son of David. Who is Jesus? Who is he appealing to? What has he heard of Jesus? Whatever it is, it's gripped him enough to say, I don't care what I look like or sound like. The true power just showed up. The one with authority just showed up. It goes to show Jesus true power, true authority. We come to verses 40 and 41, and this is another moment that grips me, where it says that Jesus stands still. In other other ways, it, it might say, Jesus stops. Okay? So mind you, Jesus, he's in motion, he's going, and then he I want to stop here because this always gets me. There are other scenes like this where Jesus is moving and he... You ever just been stopped? Something just... Jesus responds. I have to pause and ask, This is the one with true power, authority. What kind of king who's, what kind of king is this who stops for somebody like this? That's a good word. Kings don't do this. People in authority don't do this. We don't know what the crowd was thinking, but this guy is seeing Jesus in a way that maybe some of them aren't. Maybe Jesus is just popular. Maybe he's just the new fad, the new trend, but he's seeing something else and he can't see. Jesus stops. What kind of king is about to give his life for sinners? You know, we mentioned about this the kingdom of God that turns things upside down. What? Who are you? Carlton already uh, mentioned this, but there there are two other examples like this that get me. Um, The woman with the issue of blood, which is uh, Luke uh, chapter 8. Verses 43 to 48, the crowd is pressing on Jesus, but then he's, who touched me? He senses, somebody, yes, people are pushing against me. People are calling my name, but somebody else reached out to me in a different way. They're, They're grabbing onto not just my personality, but who I am. Who touched me? His disciples, like, Jesus, there are people all around you. Come on, bruh. No. And he stops. Or 
another example, like in Luke chapter 7, verses 1 through 9, Jesus is, you know, hears about the, the centurion. His servant is sick, and so servants come, please come, and Jesus is in motion on his way. And when he gets close, servants come to him and stop him. You know, the master says that he's not even worthy for you to come under his roof. In fact, he didn't even think himself worthy to come to you. But Jesus, just speak the word. You know what he's saying? Jesus, I know who you are. And the centurion draws on his own experience. You see, you see, I, I command soldiers and they come. Or I tell this one to go and they go. Jesus, I see your authority. You greater, you above anything that we, first of all, get that, I'm not worthy. Remember that, I'm not worthy. Who are, I'm, I can't even approach you. Just speak. Jesus, son of David. And Jesus responds. You think about that for a moment. I, I, you just, if that doesn't captivate you, just those moments, like I'm not worthy and you stop from me. I have no right to approach you, yet you stop from me. You come to me. What kind of king are you? Come on, man. What kind of king? Is this Jesus? And Jesus does what I love. You know, commands a crowd, tell him to come here. He just, I love this moment because this is a royal moment. This man just petitions the king. The king stops and simply just Hmm. 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 Come. Bring him. Whenever I read that, I think of the, this kind of a royal court. <laughs> and the king is in the place of judgment. Come. Are you seeing Jesus for who he is? Are you seeing Jesus for who he is? Oh, God. I mentioned he, the blind man, he acknowledges Jesus in a way that the crowd does not. And Jesus says to him, he heals him. Receive your sight. Well, actually, excuse me. He asked Jesus. Jesus said, what do you want? What can I do for you? What do you ask of your king? since you're calling me who I am. What is your request? To receive my sight. And Jesus heals him. And he says, your faith has made you well. Your faith. I want you to know that this faith and I know in our final week, CC will challenge us more on faith and exercising faith. That this is not an arbitrary faith. 
This is not some wishful thinking. This is not the secret. This is not a man who woke up every morning with positivity, knowing that good things will one day come to him. And every day he sat by that road, he just knew something good is going to happen for me. And ah, Jesus comes. And this is not a moment, Jesus, the great guru who's just, see, you've unlocked. I'm helping you unlock your greatest potential. It's in you. The answers you've always needed are in you. Your faith has made you well. Is that what this is? Now, we laugh, but that's where our, cult, that's where our culture is. All the answers you need are in you. Broken, sinful, inconsistent you. And all you need to do is look deeper in you to find the healing for you. We can see it doesn't work. This is not an arbitrary faith. He's not leaning on this Jesus who's just kind of there to assist and see, I knew you could do it. And I want others to know the, the key to finding their true potential. No. His faith. When Jesus says your faith has made you well, where is his faith placed? Where is his faith placed? It's in Jesus. Jesus, son of David. I know you have the power have mercy. When you say have mercy on me, you're talking to somebody who's in control. You don't say that to somebody who's your equal. You don't say that to somebody who's got good ideas, somebody who's got true power. I need you to have mercy on me. We're going to talk about it. I can't go deep because I got brothers and sisters coming, okay, that are going to gonna flesh this out, okay? But that's what gets me excited. This faith is in Jesus. And I have to keep asking the question, church, who is Jesus? When you read the text, you read the scriptures, Jesus is not a president. He's not a prime minister. He's not a great life coach. He's not a community organizer. He's not a champion for social justice. He's king. He's Lord. He's divine, son of David, son of God, son of man. Well, we've been talking about linking this back to Advent, that God has broken into human history. This is what the writers want you to know. This happened. This is real. This is what we've seen. This is what we've touched. He's here. Crowds might be asking that question, is he the one? Well, what does the blind man have to say? Jesus, son of David, Messiah, have mercy. I have to come hard with this point because this is where our culture is today, and not only our culture, but unfortunately, it's even in Christian circles. Jesus is somehow 
someone that I just kind of listened to. He's a great guru. He's got some wise teachings, and I can kind of follow him. And Jesus is one that we can collaborate with. You know, our ideas kind of mess at times. And I like what he said here. I'm going to use that. And so Jesus is just a great example that I can just kind of emulate. I can learn from him and emulate him in my life. Jesus doesn't leave room for that. And if we approach Jesus that way, we'll miss him. We won't receive from him. And a lot of people, you can see in the crowds throughout the scripture, they didn't see Jesus. So they missed something key. He's not a president. He's not a prime minister. He's not a guru. He's not a life coach. He's not a therapist. He's king. That's what the blind man understood. That's what the woman with the issue of blood understood. That's what the centurion understood. When you speak, things change. Jesus, when you show up, lives are transformed. And that is what we see with the blind man. Just to conclude this, Jesus reorders his life. But the key thing is our prayers, we want to see. This blind man saw Jesus before his eyes were ever open. And I'm asking this church again, do you see Jesus for who he is? Yeah, I think he's it. Are we seeing Jesus for who he is? Are we calling him Lord, but in our life we treat him like a life coach? Are we calling him king, but in our life he's really just a guru who's got some wise sayings? Or is he the one that I fully depend on? This man recognized, I have no hope but you, Jesus, son of David. Jesus, son of David. And he follows Jesus. And the attitude of the crowd is different because now they're praising God. I love something that Pastor Michael said, that sometimes how God works in people by working through other people, right? If you remember when he talked about sometimes God works in you by not working in you. And that's how Jesus uses this man and works in the crowd. And they're praising God. That's what I want to leave you with today, church. As we're in this series, worship team, y'all can come, y'all can come. As we're in this series... Can we see Jesus for who he is? All of who he is. And you understand that when we see Jesus for who he is, it means that he will check me, he will challenge me sometimes, he's going to disrupt me, he's going to say things I don't want to hear, he's going to call me to do things I don't feel like doing. But is he king? As we said, there's a call to surrender. Surrender to him today. Lord, we come before you. I thank you for your word. Lord, your word is life and strength. Jesus, son of David, son of man, son of God, you have truly come. You have invaded our world. May our lives testify to this truth. 
Open our eyes to see you, Jesus, and to see you clearly. And we know, Lord, that in doing that and placing our faith in you, that you reorder our lives and we will forever be transformed. In Jesus' name, amen. We thank God for his word today. Just remind